Welcome to my so-called sustainable life, a podcast where we compare our personal sustainability lives with our professional one. We share candid conversations, interview guests, and get real about the realities of working in sustainability while also working towards a more just future, all in the name of mitigating our climate anxiety. Sustainable Concordia would like to acknowledge that my so-called sustainable life is recorded on the unceded territory of the Ganyangehaga and the Haudenosaunee in Jojage. We are committed to listening to and collaborating with the original stewards of this land. Go to nativeland.ca to find out more about the territories we are on as Turtle Island inhabitants. We'd also like to acknowledge that the physical space we work out of is currently inaccessible and that we are committed to making our programming accessible for everyone in spite of this. Maria, how's it going? Hey Paige, I'm good. How are you? I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> it's burnout season. We're, it's like the middle of winter. People will hopefully be hearing this as the weather gets warmer and this will be a distant memory, but I feel like the weather is changing a little bit and yeah, summer or spring is starting to peak out but not enough. (laughs) I don't know. How about you? Well, I'm on like my two and a half cup of coffee. So I'm functioning, you know, we just started the year, but just taking it a day at a time, I guess is what I'm trying to do. I also just finished watching this crazy show on Netflix, another Korean zombie show all of us are dead. So (laughs) it's very indicative of our current pandemic times. So I never watched Squid Game. For real? I never did. I feel like it it got so much traction though that I feel like I watched it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we're in dystopian times. It's kind of like it has the same energy of the Hunger Games. Horrible things are happening and people are still just like competing on reality TV shows that have a really thin premise to get money. Yeah. Like the masked singer or like I can see your voice and it's like you win like $10,000. It's like, <laughs> why don't you just give that money <laughs> to people? Like it's yeah. why there's infrastructure to make TV infinitely and movies infinitely mm. if you're the right person but there's not infrastructure to make sure everybody has housing and money and food <laughs> like <Yeah>. what <laughs> so this is like a rogue episode i realized after our conversation with nadia that i have found the solution we have to do to fix the fashion industry i share nadia like when we were talking to nadia i thought it was interesting because she did reinforce a lot of what we've been thinking about and talking about in our past episodes when she said that you know, she doesn't buy anything that's priced too low, that she has to feel a real need for an article of clothing before she buys it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so a lot of what she was saying was like, good. And, you know, 
important yeah <laughs> important tips for everyone out there listening and I really also like the point about beauty and functionality I think that is something that I want to talk about today too and get into it because that's something that's forgotten when we think about fashion you know it's either just really outwardly looks nice but is not functional or it's like too functional and isn't nice at all. So I thought that was interesting as well from our last episode. And I also feel that given that the time that we're in, I think that a lot of the clothing is sort of shifting to a more utilitarian like mm. style, like cargo pants coming back into fashion. <laughs> and I don't know, big coats or like boiler suits and onesies. People are really into those right now. <laughs> And then the resurgence of inside clothes versus outside clothes. <laughs> now that I still have to go to work, which <sighs> insert eye roll. I wish eye rolls were audible, but yeah. So I so, am seeing that shift. No, I was just, I guess I'm getting impatient to hear about your theory to close off this series on fashion and on how to make it more sustainable. Okay. Okay, like for me, I feel like it's extremely simple. When we were talking, Nadia was saying we're working on different fabrics that release less microplastics when they're washed. We're trying to find fabrics that are made out of, like she said, getting natural fabrics is a good thing. Yeah, so she was giving us all of these very valid ways to practice fashion more sustainably, but... I think because of the industry, when we were talking about how small businesses in Montreal, they can't start out with extended sizes because if they don't sell their inventory, then they're like basically <laughs> But mm-hmm. I feel like they should start with extended sizes. If you're not, you know, catering to plus size people, then your fashion can't really be sustainable. And I think Mm -hmm. it's interesting that we're doing all of these things to make new fabrics, to improve old fabrics, while also having this landfill of unusable fabric or garments that have superficial imperfections are in these huge landfills. And I feel like everyone's seeing the picture of all the cotton, all the like dirty t-shirts that are like in a field because where are they going to go so I think it's interesting that the fashion industry can waste fabric for it to fit the specific look you can make an oversized coat for a skinny person but you can't just make a regular size coat for a plus size person yeah you know so I guess it just struck me (laughs) and it this is one of those things that is so simple that it's like, well, yeah, how come this isn't a thing? And it's really just to extend your sizes. And when you're starting up a fashion label, like a brand, start with extended sizes. When people tell you, oh, we only want these sample sizes, tell them, you. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it makes sense to have a wide range of sizes, especially when we know that the fashion industry is specifically trying to cater to this unattainable image of emaciated models who they themselves have to work very hard to stay that um, that ideal, right? Yeah, 100%. I feel like 
everything that's toxic about the fashion industry could be solved by unlearning all this fat phobia. And we also talked about André Leontali, who was revered and loved and such a big part of Vogue and how it is now and, you know, had this huge impact on the fashion industry, but died alone and penniless of COVID. I mean, it just also makes me think of like how everybody that's not skinny and white and rich is disposable to the fashion industry or will only be used for the specific aesthetic or it's like almost a straw man argument of back in Vogue 2019 we photographed I mean I don't know if this is real but as an example like oh back in 2019 we photographed all these up-and-coming black designers and it's like okay well where are they now yeah (laughs) like how did you further integrate them into the industry did you do that or did you just tokenize them right because it sort of feels like now plus size brands are just tokenizing because when you see plus size clothes if it's just an offshoot of a straight size brand it's not like that clothes is considering the different shapes of plus size people the different way the weight can be distributed so it's just like a bigger version of something but it's not necessarily made well or going to have the same effect as like if it was made on a spot for like a skinny person, a thin person. Yeah, and I think I agree with everything that you're saying. And I want to, you know, since I've I've been working in the intricacies and trying to make and understand how fashion can be sustainable for almost the past eight years, because I have a very personal relationship with fashion, because for me, it extends my relationship with my body, my clothing and the communities that I want to belong in. So it's been really this kind of friction because if you think about it, fashion reflects the idea of beauty. And for me, fashion is a vehicle for us to express in our material bodies what internally we find is beautiful. But what's been happening now because of the systems that we live in and the culture that perpetuates fashion is that we just have this toxic relationship of beauty that's just physical. So, you know, dressing certain types of people, selling certain types of images, not only that, but also creating a system that directly profits on people's insecurities and need to purchase more things. And I think what you're saying right now with like fashion brands not making garments that are made to fit people, really, it's like, I'm sure there's, okay, so there was this photo shoot that perhaps we all have seen with Kim Kardashian that came out on Vogue and how she's like- The recent one? Recent one. And so in- in Oh God, yeah. Yeah. And we, oh, when you said that to me, I was like, not again. And How dare they? Like, truly, like that SpongeBob meme of that one, <laughs> like, nematode that's like, why, God? Like, that was me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's because it's really a direct reflection of what our society values 
at this current moment and everything is still face value. And if you read through her interview, she's saying how, (laughs) so Kim grew up in the nineties and one, one of her dilemmas that she couldn't relate to anyone that was curvaceous and had her body type in the 90s, which is true because it was very like the Kate Moss era. So grunge, thin, and very terribly to say heroin chic. So it's almost as if it's like our society and so has fashion and we've designed clothes has shifted to what's like popular and clout inducing, which is Kim's body type, which honestly is not the only body type. But a lot more people are wanting to attain that because that's what we think and value as beauty in our culture. And I think it's wrong. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. And I think it's interesting that our idea of what the perfect body looks like has changed to include having a fat ass, but like you still have to have like a skinny waist. Like you still have to be skinny in a certain way and you're allowed to have fat in certain places but a lot of the clothes don't reflect that you still have to size up if you have a different waist to hip ratio the models of the clothes have to put pads in their clothes so that it it looks the way they want it to look oh my god yeah it's i mean your point too is like it sort of creates this really sanitized version of the bodies that we want to see because Kim Kardashian for example is just ripping off the aesthetic of black women and interestingly enough now that she's dating a white man at the time that we're recording this she is (laughs) dating Pete Davidson she took her butt implants out Okay, I, I, I know we can't see, but I, I just have a very shocked face because I did not know that. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm sad. <laughs> like, yeah, and like shook. The Kardashians are like shifting back to whiteness because they've, they've already used all the black men in their life. <laughs> they use the black men to get the clout. You can get the money. You can get the power. You get the money. And then once they did that and they have their brand, they're like, okay, this is solidified forever. We've done 20 years of this reality TV show. We've perfected our bodies to a standard that even we can't keep up with. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to quietly shift back to aesthetics that they want to be sort of taken more seriously. I feel like this is a bigger conversation about how when you're young, I would even say like 15, 15 to 30, right? You're like Mm -hmm. allowed to be thoughty and there's sort of this adultification of black women that happens when you like turn 15. I remember being at a party. It was like a Zoom party in the early days back when that was like still a novelty and fun. And we were playing truth or dare, but these people were going around like the conversation changed to when was the first time that you were being sexualized or when was the first time you remember being sexualized? The white women in the group were saying 16, 14, 15, but there was another person who also has white cousins from Calgary. So that's how we bonded. And I was like, does this feel like a little old to you? (laughs) And we both were like, oh yeah, I was like nine years old. Like the first time I was sexualized. So there's like adultification and hypersexualization of black 
women. And then all up until you're 30, everybody's allowed to grab from this aesthetic, whatever kind of like fun, like party aesthetic that they're trying to replicate. They're trying to grab from Black women's vibe, basically. (laughs) And then when they turn 30, they're like, oh, now I got to be a professional. Let me take my butt implants out. (laughs) Let me date a white man. It's like this idea you sort of have to start thinking about your suburban life. It's like a shift. Yeah, yeah, start adulting. It's kind of in the back of a lot of people's minds or a lot of women's minds as they're like growing. And... A rogue episode boils down to one thing, and the solution is start making clothes for people who need them. We need to stop pretending that there's even a way to attain these body standards. Even the Kardashians don't follow their own standards right i just feel like it's interesting that it's changed a little bit so that you can have like but it hasn't changed at all yeah it hasn't changed at all is 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 what i'm trying to say and is what's frustrating about it is that like we can just say that things are more inclusive now but are they really you know are we making clothes for differently abled bodies tommy hilfiger is tommy hilfiger has a line of clothing and people don't think about that Needing to have a winter coat that fits you, but also fits well inside your wheelchair so you don't have gaps. You're not exposed to the cold. That's a completely different kind of, or having the zipper go a different way because you take your your outfit off a different way. Like we're really limiting ourselves by only designing for the thin people who fit in the sample sizes of our clothes. 100%. I just think about, it's not like there has never been a time where people had clothes made to order. Like you see it in Bridgerton, in like the Regency era. Yeah, back in the day. Back in the day, me and you, baby. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, like you would have somebody come over and bring you like four or five outfits for the season or like one outfit that was really nice. And it like was the same color as your whole family and sort of that deal. And then there's even like in during the war, World War II, there were people who made zoot suits and it was mostly like Latinx, Latin people and, you know, black and brown communities who were wearing zoot suits. It was kind of like zoot suits are big oversized suits. They look cool as hell. But the government at the time, (laughs) they were saying that Zoot suits are seen as being against the war effort because they had so much fabric. So I feel like there's, again, a weird nationalism to being uh, fat phobic, where it's like sort of paired in there insidiously because of this, like, against the war effort rhetoric that these baggy suits sort of represented. Mm. And it was primarily black and brown communities who were wearing designing these suits so like they were essentially criminalized right i guess the point here is there have been rebellious spirits who have used more fabric designed on differently abled people like we're really limiting ourselves by only designing for sure the kate mosses the twiggies i mean a hundred percent 
A hundred percent. And I think this the Zendaya's. And I think, but that's the point though. At the end of the day, our beauty standards of the physical beauty is really very restricted. And at the core of all of this is that culturally, we need to shift what it is that we value, you know? And I think like, that's the problem. Like all of this is like, everyone is feeling like they need to fit into something. So designers are just making clothes that don't fit. So then those people that don't feel like they can fit into these clothes, you're buying things that you don't need. And it's continuing this perpetuation of like, and the sizing is not uniform. So you could buy several things and none of them will fit, even if they're all the same size. And sorry to interrupt you, but because I approach this fast fashion issue that I'm having specifically, like with all these clothes that I don't know what to do with. Yeah. It's like, as if it was like my fault or my problem, which like it is my problem. But if I'm not getting the access to clothes that I like, if it's not being made, if it's made, but it's expensive, like how can I? Yeah. And I'm just working with what I have, right? Not yeah. saying that like everybody go out and buy from Shein to like to get your wardrobes, but I like fashion. I appreciate certain aesthetics. I want to be able to switch up my look. Even the choice of basics of what basics you can use is like a privilege. When I shop for black shorts in the plus size section, they have a fray, they have like tears have applique like shit like that it's like can I just get a pair of black shorts that I can wear to work (laughs) right so of course it's upsetting that I had to buy all these clothes none of them fit it's very sad but I feel like it's more a problem with the industry and it's sort of yeah there's sort of like an onus on fat people to you know get skinny or like be naked but then at the same time it's like you really just can't win because you know if you wear a muumuu oh you're not taking care of yourself if you wear tight clothes oh nobody wants to see that it's like I didn't ask I didn't ask to want want or don't want yeah yeah I just want to wear the clothes that uh, makes me feel the most confident I want to be able to have choice in um the armor that I'm wearing 100 percent Um, To pretend like we can't go back from this mass production, fast fashion system that we've created, to pretend that we can't reel that back in is like ableist, fat phobic, racist, and it totally flies in the face of people in the industry who are not trying to be tokenized, who are just trying to make clothes that they can wear. Yeah, a hundred percent. But I want to remind you that all of this is structural problem to be able to go back to making slow clothes made to order all that stuff means we need to push down and destroy capitalism. We are all operating on this like people are creating things to make money. Like at yeah. the end of the day, that's all it is. And all these brands. Well, you could make money. You, it, that's the thing. People but, are, there's no market for people who are bigger and want to wear stylish clothes. I don't even think it's about the market or not. Cause from our past two conversations, it's like, there's clearly a market, but are people willing to understand that these brands that are going to come up that are made to order are going to cost more. So then there's the accessibility aspect on the cost. Right. Because 
even like a basic pair of shorts that will fit you nicely. You're going to have to like meet with the designer. They're going to have to measure you. You both are going to have to decide on the fabric that you want. It's just going to take more time and it's more labor intensive in that way, which I think is 100% something we should think about in the fashion industry. But is that designer going to be then able to support their life by having this type of business model? You know, it's like a catch 22. I feel like we need to do it all. Fashion designers need to 100%, I agree with you, make fashion accessible when it comes to the bodies that you're designing for. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what you're doing. You're making clothes for bodies. So really sit down and have that conversation. But it's like- But we can't pretend that all of the money that's going into the fashion industry is going directly to the clothes and to the garment workers because it's not not at all like not at all exploitation in the industry a hundred percent once we realize that there's exploitation i know so many people who would pay money i'm ready to pay so much money just to have two or three items of clothing that i can wear that i feel good in because i have just several items of clothing that i only feel half good in and like the idea that the general public doesn't want to invest and their clothes is this weird idea that a lot of big companies see. Well, it's it's not even clothes. about investing in clothes. I'm, I'm thinking about people who are like, okay, the way I see fast fashion is the way I see fast food. People purchase fast food because of different socioeconomic class inequalities, right? So it's like people that are buying fast fashion, it's the same way. It's almost as if for everyone to win in all of this, we need, what's that thing called when everyone has a wage or just like a general income? Universal basic income. A universal basic income. So now people can then, instead of having to hustle to survive, we can now have these conversations of what to invest in. Because when you're in a point of like, you can't invest in clothing when you first need to feed your family clothe yourself, you know, and you also still want to look good. So, I mean, I get it. Right. And it's just like, it's such a complex thing to think about. And, but that's what I'm saying is it's really not complex. There's all of this fabric in a dumpster. (laughs) We're doing all the mental gymnastics in the world to not have to cater to um, fat people because there's sort of an idea of like, this is somebody else who actually brought this up to me, but there's an idea that there's an exclusivity to a brand of clothing that doesn't cater to bigger sizes. Okay, okay. So that, that exclusivity is... But that's just fashion in general. That's just fashion in general. So let's take the scenario. Let's say that we have a brand that'll make clothing that's inclusive for all the sizes amazing right but then where is that clothing being sold and are those garment workers being paid for and that money is it going back properly to the communities that need it or is it just one white guy so a brand like tommy hilfiger i remember a couple of years ago they tried to address the climate issue with creating a recycled jacket Now they're creating another jacket that's accessible for different able bodies. But where is this money going to at the end of the day? It's a CEO. You know what I mean? These are just one aspects to this whole large system, which I think what you're saying is 100, 
percent important. And not a lot of people talk about this. So this is a very important and truthful conversation because we're so quick to talk about like sustainable fabrics, recycle this and that, but we forget about the people who wear these clothing. But at the end of the day, we still need to think about like the economics behind it, you know, of not just where the money is going, but the time that we spend purchasing this clothing, talking about it, being frustrated about it. That's also another aspect of it. Yeah. So for plus size people, I feel like the frustration of like inconsistent sizing, fat phobia, the different ways that clothes is displayed in the store versus for thin people versus plus size people, like all of those things are a lot of emotional labor. Yes. I want to be able to go into a store and see like a 6X mannequin and then see a nice outfit on that mannequin um because the uh, thing we don't even talk about is like the actual experience of shopping is so aggravating (laughs) like I feel like with smaller sizes you see all the clothes on the mannequin it's a nice display there's a theme sometimes they're like skiing or whatever and then like you go to like the plus size section everything's folded Mm -hmm. um you don't know what it looks like you have to like and then the change rooms are definitely not on that same floor and like I don't know just like a lot of there's a lot of barriers to the in-person shopping experience that I would love to see um dismantled to take that away that feeling of like I'm gonna go to the store nothing's gonna fit me or I'm gonna have to make compromises so that a thing fits me it would be ideal that would take off so much of a burden that I think then people would be into because we love convenience we'll pay for convenience so if I could find a pair of clothes uh like a co-ward for example that was in stores displayed nicely sustainable fabric and was stylish I would pay more for it and then you would need less clothes because you have more clothes that is comfortable inherently because the designer is thinking about and the company is thinking about the everyday person there's a lot of emotional labor as like a fat person that goes into like people will say oh the economy you got to think about the economics of this but it's the kind of thing where you have to invest first and this happens with so many things in our space like you have to invest. It's going to cost more at the beginning, but it's an appreciating asset, right? It's going to get better if you continue to invest in the same way. It feels expensive now because we're going from what is an unsustainable model that is exploiting a lot of people. And we should not be able to buy a t-shirt for $5 because it costs way more than that. And if you remember at the beginning of our episodes, Nasma Atker said that the difference in price for a t-shirt that's made sustainably versus not is like 10 cents. So in the grand scheme of things, the difference in price is not going to be that much different. And we can keep sizes. There are a lot of companies that instead of using numbers, they'll use names. So like a jean is called Paloma or Maria, and that's like different hip to waist ratio. We can figure out a way for sizing to be inclusive. We can figure out a way for clothes to be adaptable. We can figure out a way for 
clothes to have the same structure, but still have individuality in it. Like we can figure out ways to do this and it costs us not as much as we think it does. It just feels overwhelming because it's an overhaul of systems that have been kept in place um, for so long. Yes, a hundred percent. And, and that's, and I agree with you. It's a systemic change that we need to do. And I think something also that we forget is like the ownership behind a lot of these brands. And that's what keeps the system going. Like LVMH owns about 60 brands, Louis Vuitton, Celine, Dior, all of the luxury brands that's keeping and upholding this current system that's completely destructive, not only to everyone that's participating in the fashion industry, but obviously to our environment. So it's like, how do we move past that? How do we go back to actually making clothes that make us happy and give us joy, right? That's why I feel like, first of all, re-acknowledging plus size people is the first step and the reason why it's not happening is because of all this exclusivity like high fashion bullshit like exactly which is owned by lvmh who are these white dudes that own almost everything so we need a fashion revolution Like that's a hundred percent is what we need to do. That's why I've stepped away from thinking about how to make clothes that are sustainable, because at this point in time, it feels almost impossible. We have already all the material that we need. All of that material has already been wasted. 100%. It's not about the material. I think it's both a shift in culture and a structural shift. Can we not have this one group own 60 subsidiary groups that are completely controlling how we're outsourcing, how our clothes are being made and how much people are getting paid, you know, in these countries, mm-hmm. like they need to be brought down. Like, I think it's crazy that they own that much. And I think it's extremely frustrating. No, because I, I know that you love fashion. And I remember first meeting you, I was like, they just got some like swag. And as we can see from the cover of our main photo, we both have really cool sunglasses. So yes, I think fashion, for me, it brings me joy in, in most days. Like you said, it's your armor. For me as well, battling with different images of my body, my gender, clothing has been a way for me to not only protect myself, but it's been such a deep conversation of my self-preservation. And as much as the industry does attack that image of who I am, I continue to try and redefine that. And I absolutely agree with you. I think there has to be a revolution, not only in how we think about clothing, but how people are making clothing and who has, you know, stakeholder, like stakeholder, if I, I can actually industry. make a good comparison with Fila Visa Association and the university, right? I feel like there are a lot of people who want to opt out of the Fila V, who want to opt out of Fila V organizations, and then they get like their $2 back. But then once you opt out of the Fila V, any of the funding that we acquire or any of the funding that we decide to give out, you can't apply for any of that, right? And I feel like because certain fee levies like like FC has been around since 2002, we think that newer people in the university or people in the university who have only been around for like a decade, for example, they sort of take these initiatives for granted, right? Like 
uh, Waste Not, Want Not, like the DISH Project, a lot of these initiatives that have been enshrined into the university after like years and years of grassroots organizations and fee levies saying like, we need to make this a permanent fixture. After years of that, finally, like those things are enshrined in the university and we take it for granted, basically. (laughs) So in the same vein, we need to empower grassroots organizations, people who are starting, who are just starting out in fashion. Yes, yes. We cannot give them the old way of being. We have to say, okay, now if you're going to do a a fashion brand, you have to be thinking about this, 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 and this. And if you're not thinking about that, then you need to come back at a later date. Like we cannot keep enabling basically people to opt out. of catering to who fashion is supposed to cater to which is everyone because everyone wears clothes exactly 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 I think that was a beautiful comparison and I agree with you a hundred percent it's like empower the people who are making clothing for the people yeah yeah period (laughs) (laughs) yeah it takes time. It takes money. It takes an investment yeah. and it takes collaboration too. Yes. Often the people with the innovative ideas don't have the, that innovative, butterfly, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, it takes collaboration. It takes like an ego death because there are a lot of white folks with the privilege, the space, the past to like kind of get into any space organization, whatever but they need to pass the mic. They need to advocate. Yes. If you're a skinny person and you are like, I don't know what skinny people talk about when it's just skinny people. (laughs) But if you're like talking about something and then you're dang, yeah, that sucks for those people. Do something about it. When you already have a plethora of choices, styles, colors, fabrics, it's hard to imagine somebody who doesn't it's Mm -hmm. kind of this idea of like people get rich and then and I don't know if you saw there was a BuzzFeed article a few weeks ago that was like all the celebrities who are not going to give their children trust fund money or any money when they pass away and it's like then what are you accumulating the wealth for are you just going to carry it with you like (laughs) it doesn't make sense to me I feel like if you're going to build wealth you should pass it on. I feel like that's a real colonizing yes. thing. Just like hoard the money. Hoarding, yep. Not, not even give it to your own children. Like, what is that? Like, what are you making money for then? If you're not making, it's a means, right? If you're not making money to pass mm-hmm. it along for things to improve, <laughs> then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. That's I feel so like weird, that yeah. idea of you got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and work. Yeah when you get super rich like that you forget that people helped you along the way mm-hmm. you got allowances permissions education along the way it's not just you know I did this all by myself you did it nobody does anything by themselves everybody needs help everybody needs community I mean I guess the idea behind all of this is like if you're a fashion designer and you're not thinking about plus size people, why are you bringing in another label? Why are you adding another restrictive brand to all the other brands? If you really want to talk innovation, 
as a designer like it even almost feels like there's no innovation to be had working from the same silhouette over and over and over again free your mind and the rest will follow work on a curvaceous body it's like it opens you up to different shapes silhouettes you can do like gravity defying stuff like structures different structures there's just so much that can be done creatively if we're not thinking strictly about this heroin sheet aesthetic yeah modeling it after that And I think also, you know, what we said earlier, institutions like schools need to make this 100% as part of their first year syllabus to talk about sustainability and what that means in all of its context when you're designing. And places that give awards out to up and coming designers, hello, really look at the ones that are trying to make innovative change in the industry. Not just because you know that they're going to like, give back a return on investments like there's surprise surprise an LVMH like designer award and obviously they just pick the designers that they know will continue to perpetuate the system exactly exactly I mean it's anyways everyone go out and buy some fubu wear for us buy us this is the theme of this episode Uh, Yeah, fashion is not a meritocracy. Like you deserve to feel good in your clothes, work work well in your clothes, wear your favorite color, wear other people's favorite colors. You do not need to work to fit into clothes. Clothes are supposed to fit on you. Exactly. A a big unspoken rhetoric of plus size fashion and all that is, well, if you like that clothes, just lose weight and fit into those clothes. That takes years, time, energy. And we're also like being financially gaslit by a lot of celebrities. And I'm not using gaslit like lightly because they will say like, oh yeah, I just did exercise. Oh yeah, I just did this. I just did that. And it's like, no, you have a trainer. You're getting gifts from partnerships that you work with. Like all of this wealth that you're accumulating is not just because you worked again, not just because you worked hard. It's because you have access. Yes, exactly. Access. Exactly. Yeah. Fashion is not a meritocracy. What we decide is normal will become normal. So it's like, just start with the, like the bigger sizes in mind too. Like, you know, I guess don't make plus sizes an afterthought. You heard it here first. <laughs> so I guess that wraps up our, our series on fashion. Um, and if anyone wants to make a matching jumpsuit for me and my Chihuahua Tripsie, please reach out. Theme song provided by Jonathan Robinson. 